podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the show that brings you untapped business ideas from successful entrepreneurs. My name is Chris Justin, and I'm here with Ethan Janney. Ethan, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. We got a really beautiful snowfall last night and this morning here in Chicago, beautiful Chicago, Illinois, or suburban Chicago where I live. You know, something very interesting, which I wanted to share, and it is not a lead into the podcast, by the way, uh, <laughs> just something yeah. interesting. So I ex- we expected the traffic, we're now driving my son to preschool for the first time past couple of weeks, we expected the traffic to be worse because it snowed. And it was actually the best traffic that we've had ever since we've been driving him to school for the past few weeks. And it's, it's very interesting. And it just makes me think about the value of understanding counter, counterintuitive outcomes of, of things that, that happen. I don't know why that happened. Maybe because we're in COVID times, a lot of people just decided to stay home or something like that. But sometimes things work out the opposite than what you think they would be. We'll see if we can tie that back into the podcast somewhere later today. The obvious was something to do with the snow and the and the firewood and, 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 and the firewood. Whatnot, but yeah, so anyways, I want to quick plug. I, I need to make a quick plug to uh, yeah previous podcast episode that we had, uh, episode eighteen. We talked about the expensive water bottle with Jeff Proctor. Fitbit last week just released a insulated stainless steel Bluetooth smart water bottle for seventy five dollars, and they are sold out until February twelfth. So Jeff, you were onto something with that. We had a good discussion about it and you know, Fitbit's raking it in. We did talk about that about a year before it came out. So if you're looking for ideas for things that Fitbit might steal in the future, you've come to the right place. All right. We've got William Warren and Michael Teray on the podcast today. William is the founder of Sketch Effect. Is that correct? That's right. Founder and CEO. Founder and CEO of Sketch Effect. We'll talk more about that at the end of the at the end of the episode. And Michael Trey is an expert woodsman, maybe not woodsman, woods worker, uh, woodworker. He's going to hold our feet to the fire as we talk about this idea here. Which William, why don't you kick it off? Sure. I can't pinpoint the specific moment, but I've had many moments where I've either been preparing to have a guy's fire pit night in the backyard, or maybe it's the winter time and we're preparing to get a fire going in the fireplace. And I go down to my wood pile and I realize I have no wood left. So then I'm scrambling, I'm trying to find wood. Uh, and inevitably, I end up doing something dumb, which is I go to Kroger and I spend a lot of money for a tiny, tiny bundle of firewood. And that's just dumb. I just think that's annoying. I think that there's a lot of wood out there. You know, people are looking to get rid of a bunch of trees and limbs and things like that in their yard. And there's a lot of people that want to burn wood uh, in fireplaces, in fire pits, and in smokers. And I figured there's probably a better idea out there. Do you remember how much a lot of money on a bundle of firewood has been? I think with my Kroger shopper card it was five dollars for a bundle of like four logs it was pretty Just pathetic four. yeah four or five and, th- and, I, and that burned in about you know 20 30 minutes so i bought four bundles for 20 bucks and had maybe a two or three hour fire pit a lot of people i know buy firewood by the cord especially if you were 
uh, going to buy for the season and you frequently make a fire. I think if they, the average price per cord is about $300. I actually don't know how much, how many logs are in a cord. Uh, I think the, maybe, maybe Michael could tell us if I'm, if I'm right in this, I looked up, they called it a face cord. I don't know if that's the same thing as a cord, but. So a cord is kind of the same thing. I think a face cord sometimes is like a portion of a cord, like a half or a third, but a cord is supposed to be the volume of wood that takes up a four foot by four foot by eight foot volume rather. Okay. So that's what a cord is supposed to be. Yeah. Those things are $190 for mixed hardwoods. I got a 220 for oak, a 250 for red elm. So yeah, up to $300, but perhaps a little bit less. So and that's the, it. Uh, that's the episode of Run With It. <laughs> I just wanted to let you guys know how much wood is, and yeah. we're signing off. <laughs> now you know. Yeah. No, I, I'm glad that you brought this idea up. It, it's a, um, I think it taps into a larger movement, which is where I would steer the idea a little bit to making use out of wood that otherwise would end up in a landfill or a wood chipper. Right now, if you have a tree that you need to cut down, it's uh, either it's dead and you're worried it's going to fall over and hit your home. Or, you know, for some other reason you need to cut down, maybe you, it's unsightly. You have to pay an arborist and that's expensive. And then for the arborist, they, they don't have a good way of using that wood. They don't have anything that they're going to do with it. So typically it's just a cost for them to dispose of it. Um, and at the same time, we're buying all of this wood, high quality wood from overseas and spending a ton of money on, on that wood to turn it into furniture. So... Uh, there's definitely an opportunity there to just use this wood that we have that is going to waste right now and use it for firewood or even furniture, wood pellets, all the other things that we uh, that we use wood for. I've seen things where it's a, a kind of a one-off company or a local, you know, even like college kids, like local people going around and collecting up people's discarded old trash wood and then repurposing it and selling it. I mean, it's an age-old entrepreneurial kind of spirit, right? You take somebody's leftovers and then you turn it around to make value out of it. And so in my mind, I imagine this amazing app where you can log on and you can click whether you want to give wood or if you want to receive it. And if you want to give it, you kind of punch in your address, how much it is, roughly the quality of it, and then boom, the app works. I'm not an app expert, but I imagine you know, all the, uh, the gears turn and all that. And then some local person who wants to make some money receives that request, drives to your house in their pickup truck or whatever, and then takes it off your hands. Didn't cost you anything. Um, and then now the company has some raw resources to repurpose into actual firewood. And then you flip the, you know, you flip the, uh, you flip it around and then you're someone who's hosting, a fire pit night or want to burn wood and you click the button that says, I want to receive it. And you, you type in how much you want, when you want it, your address. And then again, a local delivery person probably will go to the hub, whatever. I guess there'll probably be a regional hub where this, where the wood is stored and all that, and then picks it up and then drops it off for, you know, a fee. So that's kind of in my mind how I imagine this would work. Yeah. So I, I looked up like profit margins on firewood online and there's this guy from Joe's premium firewood posting YouTube videos and, and a lot of them have subjects like, can you make money on firewood? 
and basically all of them are him complaining about he makes no money <laughs> at all you know chopping firewood i don't even know why he does it if it's just like a hobby or whatever he just likes to complain or something i think we got to deal we got to deal a little bit with with this factor of how how small are we going to go in on the equation you know when i looked into firewood and profitable businesses that deliver firewood, it seemed like they were the ones that were most profitable were the ones that are doing it on a larger scale. You know, you can, you can pick the type of wood, you know, you can do cherry, you can do walnut, they're custom delivering to, you know, restaurants, uh, things like that. And it's, uh, it, they, they kind of, they, they work on volume. So I'm just want to, I want to throw this into the equation here and say, are we getting ourselves, how deep do we want to get ourselves into the actual processing of the firewood? And if we do, do we want to play with the larger players as opposed to the smaller players? I think that's a good question to let simmer a little bit here. I want to introduce another business model into it. Typically on the show, we just kick around a bunch of stuff and, and we're riffing. So, you know, don't be offended, William, if if uh, this idea ends up in a different place or it might end up in exactly the same place, but we're just going to you know, have fun throwing around uh, different aspects. So in doing some research, Mike shared with me this company called the Urban Lumber Company, and they're based out of Portland, Oregon. And what they do is... They follow around arborists and just pick up the trees that they would otherwise discard, that they would chip or they'd send to a landfill. And it saves the arborists money because they don't have to dispose of these giant trees. It saves them time because they're no longer the ones responsible for doing that. So they can get off the job site quicker and do more jobs per day. So it's a, it's a huge benefit to them. This guy has been super successful. They just take those trees and, and turn it into, he's turning it into furniture, tables, chairs, cabinets, dressers, et cetera. And that model has actually been emulated in other places across the country. There is uh, the Urban Wood Network, urbansalvagedwoods.com. I think Ethan and I both listened to the same podcast, or at least, yeah, not, maybe not the same episode, but the Woodpreneur podcast, How to yes. Become an Entrepreneur. In, in, William, uh, William, you sent us on the most fantastic wild goose chase. Like, I didn't realize I was sending you down the rabbit hole. This is how we like to spend our time. Shout out to the Woodpreneur podcast. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll tag you. Steve, Steve you, uh, you helped us out with the research here. But uh, this is, it's a network, the Urban Wood Network. It's a network of sawyers, arborists, furniture makers, woodworkers, and makers. And this lady that runs it, Jennifer, I forget her last name. She's helped a bunch of people start this sort of business where you can follow an arborist around and, and reclaim the wood and, and sell it and turn it into something valuable. I think that that is an essential part of this idea is, is taking wood that would otherwise be discarded or it's hard to use effectively and making good use out of it. It's hugely beneficial for climate change. It's uh, more efficient. There are a lot of reasons why it makes sense. And the downstream, exactly what it turns into, you can calculate that based on what the product streams will be worth, right? If you turn it into lumber, how much is that worth? If you turn it into firewood, how much is that worth? If you turn it into wood pellets, how much does that work? How much is the processing required for each of those things? Uh, it can take a long time to dry wood before you're able to process it, especially if you're in a wet climate. So there are a lot of factors that go into place, but th there is an example in place for how to make best use of this wood, and it's not tapped out. So the question is, in you bringing up 
it bringing this up and I, maybe you alluded to it is, are we wanting to pivot towards making furniture out of it or doing something else with it besides creating the firewood or, or do we want to just use that piece of the model of following the arborist around and actually do the firewood? Well, yeah, let's speculate a little bit here and then Mike can correct us when we're being a dummy. Uh, I would say, I would think that there's much more value in turning it into furniture than there would be turning it into firewood. It seems like it'd be very process heavy to turn it into firewood and the scale isn't necessarily there. But if you have a giant log, you might get one or two tables out of it. And that's just much less processing and it's a higher end consumer. I, it's much easier for me to imagine selling to the arborist because they have a very clear need and you're immediately going to save them money. And it's a smaller subset. The marketing is way cheaper if you go to the arborist as opposed to mass market and consumers. So there are a lot of reasons that I like that approach. There's already established models that you can emulate to do so. And you can pay Jennifer, I think, 200 bucks, and she'll teach you how to do this. And you can start a small business in your neighborhood. Yeah, I love that business model. I mean, the thought of following the arborist narrows down your ideal customer persona to a very, very small niche. We, we are getting a little bit. So the thing that I'm, I'm attached to here is, is there's something romantic about fires. And I think if we, if we go into the, I, I totally agree that the custom furniture one, there's a higher profit margin and turning, turning the collected wood into furniture seems a lot easier to make a buck on than to turn it around on firewood. Um, because people are gonna something people are gonna burn, they're probably not gonna <laughs> pay a lot of money right. for. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so hopefully I want to get back into it a little bit, talking about the firewood. I think what we could do is become an intermediary between the various players. Be it you know you could include people who are collecting firewood, uh, you know, from homes with fallen trees, things like that. You could integrate with companies that are doing this on a large scale. I ran across a couple of profitable firewood, well, a seemingly profitable firewood <laughs> businesses. <laughs> but, you know, one thing that they had, they had on their website something interesting. They had different features of the wood, almost like you might see in in an app. You know, it's cherry wood and this is the dry time and this is the odor that it has, right? And this is how long it's going to burn. And it almost even had that appearance of, oh yeah, let me go to the app and I can select custom select what kind of wood I want for this beautiful aromatic fire that I'm about to make. And, th and there you can also go into the custom side of it where you charge a little bit more because there's like a bespoke customized service around what you're doing. And and you're, people are not just paying for the wood, they're paying for the experience of you, you know, helping them build a romantic fire. Yeah, you could go that route. I, I almost imagine this being like less bougie than that. Like sometimes when I want to burn fire, I'm just looking for anything that's dry and not going to destroy the earth when I light it on fire. So I'll give you an example. The other day, my son really wanted to do a fire in our fireplace and I was out of wood. And we literally went to the local park. There had been a storm there a few days ago and just some random limbs had fallen. And we just collected a bundle of random limbs. I have no idea what kind of wood it was. I have no idea if it was fancy or what odor it would give off. All I knew is that it was discarded wood. Eventually the local park service would come and have cleaned it out anyways. 
I told my, I gave my son a lesson that we were doing the neighborhood an act of service by clearing this wood. And then we threw it in the fireplace and burned it. So yeah, I wonder, um, I think you could either take this model and go very premium to where you do have that kind of white glove experience where you know exactly you want cherry wood or you want oak or hickory or whatever you want chunks or you want logs or you want kindling, whatever, and then kind of tailor make your cart or your, your basket, or you could just say, I want something I can burn and I want it in 10 minutes and, uh, or I want it in 20 minutes and I don't care what it is as long as, as long as it burns. Yeah. I see. I, I could see you go either the more like premium kind of white glove or just the more like every man kind of give me something I can burn root. Another idea is wood shops that build cabinetry and other, you know, furniture out of just dimensional wood that they buy from a lumber yard. At some point in time, you're going to have a piece of wood that's a foot long and you can't do anything with it. And that becomes wood scrap, which is a problem for these places to deal with. They have to throw it out, pay for their own dumpster fee and all that kind of stuff. Whereas if like there was something like a network like this, what you're proposing, where you can say, hey, I have this wood available come and grab it out of our trash, you know, we'll keep a, a special trash can for it. And, you know, like come pick this up and it's all dry chunks of nice hardwood. They're a little bit small, but they burn, you know, and those could be, those would be available for free to anyone to pick up. So I think there's a lot of small little aspects of the general wood industry that aren't accounted for in how to deal with a lot of the waste. For instance, the sawdust could potentially be compacted into uh, wood pellets for wood-fired stoves and that kind of thing. But that is, from what I've experienced, rarely ever happens. So I think there are a lot of things to do with wood waste that could be tapped into here. Mike, if you had to put a number on how much that waste would be valued at from an average log, is that on the order of 5 bucks, 50 bucks? 500 bucks? What would you say? Oh, if if we were to cut it up and turn it into firewood? Let's say a furniture maker is the exact scenario that you described. You've got wood that came in and you've cut your piece, you're using it uh, for a table or whatever, and you have all these leftover scraps. How much would those scraps be worth if you sold them as composite for instance, we're working on a mesquite table right now, and we realized that we were having a lot of uh, offcuts that were just trash to us. In an afternoon, we filled up a 55-gallon you know, trash can. And if I were to imagine those $6 bundles of wood, you know, I could fit maybe uh, a dozen or so of those six, $6 bundles of wood in the same trash can, maybe more. 72 bucks. Yeah. So, you know, I think that there could be something there. And like I said, for the wood shop, that's just, we have to pay to dispose of that. And if you reduce how often your dumpster gets picked up and then your your wood waste, which is a green product essentially, can be turned into just kindling or whatever for somebody's fire, that seems like a better use for that than in a landfill somewhere. So, How many times per day or... Per week, if it's not that often, would you fill up one of those 55-gallon drums? I probably would fill up two of those a week. But we're a relatively small shop, and there's a lot bigger operations out there that, that produce a lot more wood waste than we do. I'm learning a lot. I had no idea that the uh, wood industry was so intricate. 
peeling back the layers. It's great. Yeah, that's what we do here. I want to go back to my horse here. I I picked my winning horse and I'm just going to keep riding it. The idea of turning it into furniture, I can picture that, let's say you get this custom table made and along with it, you have the story of where this tree was from, you know, what kind of, what its experience was, how, how old it's been. You know much more about how it came to be and environmental, social, and corporate governance. There's something with that within this idea, if you can improve upon this entire process, you can make people feel good about the furniture that they buy in the same way that they can feel better about the meat products that they buy because the animals are humanely raised. You feel better about, yeah, I would feel better about buying a table if I knew that it weren't part of some big uh, forest clearing initiative. Let's say you love vacationing in Asheville, North Carolina, and then you could collect wood that falls in the mountains of Asheville, and then you could make, you know, an Asheville table. This table was made from a whatever tree that fell on the, you know, the Blue Ridge Parkway in Asheville, and you can charge a premium for that because there is a story, and it connects into people's emotions. Do that for every single city known to man. I know before we were before we hit record, I mentioned that Atlanta has the highest tree coverage of any major city in the US. So, you know, let's say you grew up in Atlanta and you move away, you could buy a table or a chair or a set of tables and chairs that was made from harvested wood from a tree that was in your childhood neighborhood or something like that. I've been living in Phoenix for a year and a half now, and I've been working here ever since I moved here. Uh, In that year and a half, we've done two pieces of furniture from trees that were cut down on the same property that the house is now built on. So, and one of them was particularly unique. Um, it was built a table out of ficus lumber and ficus is just a tree that, I mean, those are, that's kind of an office plant. So the fact that there was a uh, uh, ficus tree that was large enough to cut lumber out of was something that was really remarkable. Uh, really interesting looking lumber. I've never seen it before. You can't find it online anywhere. So that's part of the rarity of what you can get from dealing with urban lumber to begin with. Um, Another thing is we actually did a table and uh, staircase for a house out of uh, silk oak. There were, I think there were three large silk oak trees on this property that they uh, built this fantastic house on. The dining table and stair treads were actually featured in Dwell magazine. So I can attest to the fact that there is a lot of interest in, you know, having that wood or furniture with a story behind it. You're reminding me of an episode of the Woodpreneur podcast, which I listened to, where they were interviewing. Uh, we are now sponsors of the Woodpreneur podcast. <laughs> I, I have to They're say, interviewing... I've learned a couple things from you. Woodpreneur pro- podcast is definitely something that I will be looking up. I'm shocked that I didn't know about that already. So thank you. <laughs> It was it was relatively boring for me to listen to, but I do have oh, some interesting on, you things. All right, you've got to cut that. We're we're getting Steve on here. We got a partnership. We're going to co-brand all of our episodes in the future. We're going to be focused on woodworking. All right, let me tell the story of rack and sack kilns, okay? Because I think this has multiple aspects that are interesting. First of all, rack and sack kilns. It basically started as one of these type of businesses where they would collect they would collect 
somebody's wood and they would make furniture from it. And yes, that was exactly their focus. You know, the tree that your grandfather used to play on and, you know, had a swing on and climb when, when he was young, it's the same tree that we made this heirloom table with that we're going to keep, you know, for centuries. But at the same time, the, the story of their business goes like this. They were doing that and they had they found it difficult to dry the wood out and there was no resource for kilns in their area and so they bought one of these custom kilns from iDry which was the actual sponsor of the podcast episode which I listened to <laughs> which is like a kiln maker so they buy a kiln right and then they start being the local company that dries wood for anybody that needs it to be dried and and at this point they've already purchased a couple more kilns and this has turned into the primary source of profitability for their business is that they're just the local resource for drying wood and so what i think is interesting about this is just to bring in a factor that's come in you know several times in the podcast is if that's kind of a boring business idea is just to like have a big shipping container size thing that dries wood and you just sit there and you make that happen and that makes you money it's not as romantic as a firewood app or as a furniture app or anything like that, but it's just interesting to see that there might be more profitability in something like that. Yeah, but that would that that wouldn't get you on the cover of a magazine. <laughs> Kiln Weekly, come on, you Kiln, weekly. Kiln Weekly. I mean, there, there's something to be said for the kind of average Joe business, which is very profitable and not sexy, but just requires a lot of hard work and intentionality, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, the next greatest business idea might just be doing a better job at this thing that people have been doing for a long time, um, or doing it better or doing it in a more ethical way or sustainable way. Um, there's an entire movement around that called the sweaty startup movement. And it's very timely in that a lot of people who have those type of old school businesses are coming of retirement age. So you may even be able to buy a business from someone who, uh, maybe they're a milling shop or an arborist or any other number of, of sweaty type startups and take that over and apply basic business principles, modern business principles, bringing it to the digital age, things like that, and greatly improve upon it. I wanted to bring just something into the conversation so as we're talking about what are good startup ideas and things like this. Uh, we don't always talk about our guests' startup experience, but I think your, yours is a little bit interesting for our listener to hear about, William. In your case, you have a kind of a romantic sort of business idea, right? It's fun. You're, you know, you're sketching, you're being creative. There's, there's a lot of fun stuff going on there. And, it, and it's a business that, interestingly enough, you sort of stumbled upon, right? It's, it's like you, you started doing sketching and in meetings and things like that. And people said, hey, that's cool. Hey, you know what? I'll pay you to do that. And it just sort of grew and you decided you would just jump on this opportunity to start a business. And so I'm curious about your perspective on just starting new projects. I know you might have had experience starting products, you know, but how do you think about, do you think much about starting new businesses? Because you didn't necessarily, you weren't one of these people, you know, kind of, at your job thinking, I got to be an entrepreneur. I got to be right. an entrepreneur. It just sort of happened to you. Any thoughts you, about starting businesses? I never grew up hungry to be an entrepreneur. I kind of stumbled into it. I'm, I'm a creative turned entrepreneur. For me, it was always the product that fascinated me. Drawing, sketching, animating. For your listeners, I don't know much about wood, clearly, based on the last 30 minutes, other than I like to burn it and make delicious barbecue out of it. 
But uh, I do know a lot about drawing. I do know a lot about illustration and design and things like that. Our business really just emerged organically because it was fun. I liked doing it. I sensed a demand mostly amongst corporate, what would become our corporate clientele. So yeah, our, our entrepreneurial story is really just one of sensing a demand, providing a product that people love, and then just trying to do the best possible job with uh, getting that product into our customers' hands. To answer your question, I, I yeah, I mean, now that I'm kind of doing this entrepreneur thing and have been doing it for the last seven years, I'm, I'm, I love thinking of new ideas. Right now, the Sketchfect is my baby. We're still growing. We've been growing every year since we launched seven years ago trying to do it better, trying to figure out new new products and find new markets and all that. So right now this is consuming all of my energy, which is why this podcast is especially fun because it's a, it's a little bit of a, a deviation from what normally consumes my mind, which is pixels and uh, color palettes and things like that. Cool. Well, we'll have to have you back sometime. You know, one thing I just want to point out here, and this is, again, my like tiny obsession with the kiln pro- profitability of kilns, and, and a little bit of a theme between that story I told about the the kiln business and your your process of starting a business, noticing a demand, like seeing that people are asking for something and wanting something and pulling towards something, and then just trying to ride that wave, right? Oh, I I noticed that I needed a kiln and I didn't have one, and then people started using it, and now I'm building upon this sort of thing that's that sort of market is pulling for this business idea. So. It's an interesting tidbit just to think about entrepreneurship for those people that are sort of jonesing to be an entrepreneur and aren't yet, that to be on, on the lookout for businesses that are almost starting themselves, right? Where where there's a demand that's just cropping up and then just trying to ride that wave as opposed to creating something from scratch. I think that's a great place to wrap here. William, people can find you at thesketcheffect.com. Anywhere else that you'd like to direct them to? Sure. Yeah. So um, I've been posting content for creative entrepreneurs, especially folks like me who always love to draw or illustrate or design or paint or animate, whatever, and just need a little bit of help connecting the dots of business, making it a little bit less scary and a little bit simpler, more approachable. So that's at williamcwarren.com on Instagram at williamcwarren.com. If anyone's interested in our sketching work, it's at thesketcheffect.com. So uh, feel free to check that out as well. Great. We'll link to that. Mike, if people want to connect with you, where should they go? They can find the shop I work at at ironwoodmills.com. And we're also on Instagram at ironwood underscore mills. If you're interested in following me and some of my own personal projects on Instagram, you can find me at Michael Torre. That's spelled T-O-R-E-T on Instagram. Great. Well, it was a pleasure talking with both of you guys. Thank you for kicking around this idea and enjoy the rest of your day. We'll talk later on. Thank you. Thanks. The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.